Well, good morning. Let's, let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for uh, the things you're going to show us. I pray that you'd open our eyes, open our ears to everything you want us to see and hear. And we just thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming together and to being, being quickened by your spirit and by the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I am excited about today and next week because I'm going to be talking about an exciting book, the book of Jonah. And Jonah is really, uh, as I've been thinking on it, meditating on it, it really is more exciting than it comes off at first. And um, it's located in the Minor Prophets, and it's hard to find Even if you know your Bibles, it's hard to to get to it sometimes, but it's before the book of Micah, and it's after Obadiah. You say, where are those? Well, Obadiah is after Amos, and and Micah is before, Micah's a long one, Nahum, and Nahum's before. So if you just go, it's closer to the New Testament, and you'll see it uh, in there among the minor prophets. And Jonah Jonah was down. He got into a pit. And it's a sad thing when you're down, when you're feeling like you're in a pit of despair. It's a sad thing to feel like there's darkness all around you. And, you know, some of us have been in that place where we feel down. It's a sad thing to feel down, to feel overwhelmed, overcome by things in the world. But it's a happy thing that you have a God who is merciful. You have a God who, is a, who cares You have a God who can raise us up, even out of impossible situations, even if you're in the belly of a great fish, which we're going to talk about. But we celebrate a risen Lord. The Lord Jesus was down, and he rose up. He was brought up with power, and he was exalted. And that's our story, too. If you're down in a pit, if you're in in the belly of some great problem or trial, You can be lifted up. You can be resurrected. You will be resurrected. Faith in Jesus Christ means that we're going to be taken up and taken out of the grave at some point. But eternal life begins when you receive him. When you bring him into your life, he brings you out of the darkness. And uh, that is our story. And it's good news. It's it's the hope of the gospel. And it's news that we want to share with others. But unfortunately, Jonah did not want to share with folks when the Lord told him to go to Nineveh. And so some of you might have said, well, Jonah, isn't that just some fantastic fish tale? I mean, you don't really believe that someone could survive in the belly of a a giant fish. Some people say it was a whale. Nobody really knows what it was. could have been a whale, but it could have been some giant fish, something we don't know about. And it is a fantastic story, isn't it? But it is, it, is, it is not something to shudder at. It's not something to say, well, I just can't handle that. Because here's why. There are lots of things in the Bible that are fantastic. And Jesus himself mentioned Jonah in two places. We'll look at those. Um, he talked about the sign of Jonah in Luke chapter 11, verse 30 and 32. And we're going to look at Matthew 12 a little bit later. We talked about the sign of Jonah. But Jesus referred to Jonah as a real person in real history. And he wasn't referring to Jonah as some parable or allegory. So we need to look at Jonah as a real person, real history, and understand that he actually was in a fish and got vomited out and survived. 
And you say, well, that's too fantastic. I can't handle it. Well, then you better not look at Noah's Ark. You better not look at crossing the Red Sea and all kinds of things. The resurrection of the dead. In Acts 26, it says, why should it be thought incredible that God raises the dead? And here's the key. If God, if you believe in God, do you believe in God? If God is God, can he not do anything? If God is God, can he not do the impossible? And once you understand that that's what makes God God, he has the right, the privilege, the power to do what we think is, is crazy and strange. By the way, there are some stories historically of people who have survived being in a fish, but I'll just qualify that and say none of them have been really verified and some of them have been rebuked and rebunked. But what I'm saying is it doesn't matter whether you can find any evidence now or ever, for any of these things, if you believe in God, God is a God who does miracles. And that's a good thing. That should not cause us to say, oh, I don't know about this. It should give us hope. Because that means that we can experience his saving power. We can experience his deliverance when we're down in the depths and down in the dark. And that makes Jonah a pretty exciting story. But that's the least of the excitement. I don't care so much about the fish. I, what's more exciting is that the whole book points to Jesus. It's the sign of Jonah. Jesus said, I would give you the sign of Jonah. It points to Jesus. It points to the nature of God. God shows compassion on undeserving people. First in sending Jonah to an undeserving people, the Ninevites, rebellious and stubborn people. But the Ninevites weren't the only rebellious and stubborn people in this book. There was also Jonah. And God showed mercy to a rebellious and stubborn child of God, basically. So have you ever been stubborn or rebellious? Are you stubborn and rebellious? Do you think that God can't have mercy on you? Do you think God can't do something in your life? God even shows mercy and compassion to rebellious and stubborn people. And so that's the exciting thing about the book of Jonah. And, of course, you see revivals. You see the revival of the Ninevites, and there's also another revival in there, too. Huh? Well, we'll talk about that. But first, let's give us a brief overview of the book. It's only four chapters. You can read it in one sitting. But basically, God calls Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh, that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And Jonah said he doesn't want to go. He runs the other direction from Nineveh, gets on a ship and experiences a storm at sea. The sailors panic, and then he says, it's my fault, throw me over into the ocean, and, and that's what they do, and the storm calms, and then God sends a fish to swallow Jonah. And then in chapter 2, Jonah prays an extraordinary prayer of faith. You, you've never seen a prayer of faith like this in the Bible. We're going to look at that. And then in chapter 3... He goes to Nineveh. He got corrected. He got on course, and he preaches to Nineveh, and Nineveh has basically a revival. They repent. And then chapter 4, uh, Jonah watches this from a distant part of the city, and God provides a plant to give him shade, and he loves this plant, but the next day God sends a worm to destroy the plant, and Jonah gets angry, and the end. It's got kind of a strange ending, but uh, we'll have to look at that next week. We're going to look at uh, basically what happens in the first two chapters this week. So there's a lot to be learned from it, 
And like I said, the first thing we learn is we see that God cares for stubborn, rebellious people. And so the sign of Jonah is not just in the resurrection story, but it's in God so loved the world. God so loved the world. The Ninevites were undeserving. Jonah was undeserving, and yet he showed mercy to both. And you and I are undeserving. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And he has has so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not perish and be stuck in the belly of a fish, but should have everlasting life. So we see grace in this. There's the the gospel of grace. He has grace for undeserving people. And that's an Old Testament book. Some people say, well, it's just grace in the New Testament and law in the Old Testament, and and that's it. No, there's grace all throughout the Bible. There's grace throughout the Old Testament, although sometimes it's concealed. And someone has said that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Things open up in the New Testament. You understand things more. And that's part of why we can teach on Jonah. We can understand more seeing the grace of God. And it becomes unveiled as we, as we look. But the Old Testament is full of God's grace, even though there is judgment as well and law as well. So there it is. And so we're going to look at the mercy of God. But one of the first lessons we learn in the book of Jonah, and in order to appreciate God's mercy, is first we've got to understand that there's judgment and that one of the first lessons is that nobody's going to get away with anything. All right. Uh, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh in verse 2. And what did the Lord say in verse 2? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, And Assyria was Israel's sworn enemies. They were a ruthless and cruel bunch. And that wickedness had come up before. We we see that wickedness comes up before the Lord. A wicked, cruel, ruthless bunch will not get away with their wicked, cruel, and ruthless actions. And there's a time, there's a day of account coming, and God wanted to send Jonah as a messenger to tell them this day of account was coming. In the same way, we live in a fallen world that has cruel, ruthless, and wickedness happening, but there is a day of account coming. None of us, none of the world is ever going to get away with everything forever. Right now, it seems like justice doesn't really happen. We, 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 this world, justice is very rare. It does happen, but a lot of people get away with so much, and then they think as if they're always going to be okay. But in the age to come, there's going to be perfect justice, and no one can escape that justice from God. God, as we're going to see, is everywhere, and he beholds all things that are going on. There is a day of account, and you and I were subject to that day of account, and praise be to God for Jesus who released us from having to be held in account. That's the good news. We have all deserved the judgment and uh, that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. We've all deserved to be destroyed. But because of Jesus, we have hope. We, have, uh, we, we, can, we can go forward in faith and hope that we won't suffer that destruction and punishment. 
But there is a day of account that will come. And Jonah was told to warn them. Maybe we ought to be warning others of that in our time. And this is where it gets a little bit scary, right? Who wants to go out on the street and ring the bell with a sign on their body saying, repent, the end is near? But the end is near. And, and unfortunately, that's a caricature. Judgment is coming. Turn or burn, they say. That's a caricature that the devil has brought forth throughout the times. But that doesn't discredit or disqualify the truth that there is going to be judgment. And that's part of uh, the justice and holiness of God. If there wasn't ju- judgment, people getting away with everything, what kind of God would we be serving? He would not be good. He would not be just. If He would not be holy. What kind of judge would you trust in courts here if he said, well, it doesn't matter. I just forgive them. They go all the way. No, there has to be a payment, and Jesus was the payment, and that's what makes it just that he can forgive. But if people don't receive that forgiveness, they have to stand before Almighty God, and there is going to be wrath, as we see revealed in the New Testament. You know, there it is. Grace is in the Old Testament, but there's also wrath revealed in the New Testament. Look at the book of Revelation. Look at Jesus, what he described as coming. Paul said, flee from the wrath to come. So, uh, that's not the good news, but it leads to the good news because we have the solution in Christ. But we, we ought to consider warning others. You know, we, we, want, we want to look so agreeable and nice to everybody. We want to be happy and joyful, and that's a good thing. And, and we want to keep friends. But it may be more hateful not to tell them the truth than to be loving and say, hey, you know, there is going to be a day of account, and you're going to be held accountable. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of judgment. So that's just a spur on to you, to me. I'm not saying to beat people over the head with a Bible. Whack! Stop sinning, sinner! No, but we can be reasonable and we can be polite and we can speak with love and and concern and compassion. And I I know it's not easy, but it's a challenge. I'm speaking to myself as well. Um, But that's also what makes the good news more attractive. Well, hey, there, there is an answer to this, and it's not by your works. It's not by you shaping up. It's by what Jesus did for you. And so that could be a good lead-in to get someone drawn to the Lord. So it's hard to do that, and Jonah didn't want to do that, but he didn't want to do it for other reasons. Jonah ran the other direction, and it says in verse 3, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Tarshish, (laughs) it's hard to say. Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, so this is really interesting because Jonah had a foolish thought here. I can flee from the presence of the Lord. Now this still goes with, nobody can get away with anything. And you cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. Look what David said in Psalm 139, verse 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall follow me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide 
from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Where can you go from God's presence? Nowhere. But yet Jonah was said to flee from the presence of the Lord. But the idea here is that you cannot sneak one over on God. You cannot, even in the belly of the fish, God was there. God is everywhere. And this is what theologians call omnipresence. Omni meaning all, everywhere, and present. God is omnipresent. And that can be a fearful thing to some people, or it can be a comforting thing to some people. Because of the mercy of Jesus Christ, because we have been delivered from the curse of the law and that we aren't expected to have everything all together because grace has come in to rescue us, we can be comforted knowing that God is omnipresent. In fact, that is our hope, and that's what keeps us calm in the storm. In, in the book of Jonah, the shipmates were panicked. They were calling out to their idols, and the idols weren't helping them. But Jonah was sleeping in the ship, and we can sleep too. We can be calm as bad as things get out there, as bad as the situation and the turbulence and the tumult and, and everything around us, everything shaking while the world shakes, we can be comforted knowing God's omnipresence is with us. Where can we go that we're not out of his care? God is merciful. That's one of the major lessons in Jonah. And mercy is omnipresent. And another thing is that in the new covenant, in the gospel, in the new covenant, God's omnipresence is not just, uh, it's not what some people have been taught that He's always hounding down your neck and he's always pointing out when you're wrong and he's always angry with you and he's always upset because you messed up this time. That's not it at all. And that is something that I used to think was happening. I was beating myself up all the time. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, and that thought I had. Oh, God, forgive me. How can you love me? And that is not New Testament grace faith. My Testament, New Testament grace faith now is thank you, Lord, that you've covered that sin. Thank you, Lord, that you've paid for that sin. Thank you, Lord, that you love me in spite of myself, that you love me in spite of my failures, my shortcomings, and that your mercy is with me all the time. You said you'll never leave me nor forsake me. Therefore, I know I have help in the Lord, and I have protection from the Lord, and I have safekeeping, and the love of God, it never stops because of Jesus. That is so comforting, and that is what we have in the omnipresence of the Lord. And the sad thing is, is that we tend to think otherwise. It's just we get into this legalistic mode and God is upset with me and he's hounding down my back. He's not hounding you. He's not, he's not getting upset at every wrong mess up you make. He gets disappointed if you, if you sin. And we don't want to disappoint him, but that's a matter of love. It's a parent. A parent is not hounding their kid all the time. Well, the kid sometimes thinks, thinks they are. But it's love. It's not, it's not uh, well, you messed up this time, you sorry wretch, and I, I don't know why I ever accepted you. No, it's I, I gave my son for this very reason, and you're okay. Why don't you just come back? to come back? That's the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son could have kept wallowing in his misery and in the pit, but he decided, I'm going to come back. Then he, as he's going back, he's thinking, i got to shape up, and I'm going to say this to my father. He's going to tell him all the good. He's going to be your servant and not a child, but the father wouldn't have any of it. The father just said, he's come back, come on, and gave him everything. So that's our story. That's why we can love the Lord's omnipresence, and even an old covenant man like Jonah 
was not too uh, discomfited by God's omnipresence. Here is the first miracle in the book of Jonah. This is a fantastic miracle, maybe more fantastic than the fish. It's that Jonah slept in the storm. Jonah was so confident in God's mercy that he could sleep when he had willfully disobeyed. He wasn't even thinking about his works at that moment. He, he wasn't eyeing the storm. He was sleeping peacefully. Now, that, I have a hard time sleeping if I know I've done something wrong. I have a hard time sleeping if I feel like I don't have it all together, if I'm thinking through that stuff. But I've learned to get past it. I've learned to know that I can't have it all together. Jesus had it all together for me. But Jonah didn't know Jesus the way I know Jesus. Or you know Jesus, if you know Jesus. We have something greater in the new covenant than the old covenant people had. We really do. It's And because the Spirit of God dwells in us, unlike the way he did in the past. And that's one of the reasons Jonah wasn't excited about the revival that Nineveh had. We'd be excited about a revival, right? Because we have God's Spirit in us. We want to see God glorified in those things. Jonah was more concerned about the nation of Israel and, and their sworn enemies getting salvation. That wasn't good. So the first miracles that Jonah slept, he was not paying attention to his disobedience so much. And for an Old Testament saint, that's pretty incredible. For us, we can learn from that. We need to look to God and quit looking to ourselves and our faults and failures and shortcomings. If we see something, sure, we need to get it right. But we don't have to beat ourselves up all the time and lose sleep over things because we know that God is merciful. And that mercy, that very merciful grace of God is actually the key to growing and doing better when you can receive that forgiveness, that grace, that mercy, and just know that God is not upset and wanting to thrash you. And and so I, I think it's a miracle that Jonah was able to sleep because in the Old Covenant, it wasn't necessarily that way. A lot of people got judged for their disobedience. Here was an episode where, for some reason, God showed mercy to Jonah. So um, Jonah disobeyed, even under the law, trusting in God's mercy. And in in, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, this was the reason Jonah ran the other direction. He prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So why did Jonah disobey? Because he knew God was merciful. He did not want God to have mercy on the Ninevites. He knew that God was merciful. So I'm going to go the other direction. So how do we respond to that? Well, here's a here's an uh, let me first interrupt something here. I excuse me while we interrupt this sermon for a short mini sermon. Okay, this is another point, but it, we, it comes upon this. Jonah willfully disobeyed. A lot of Christians, a lot of people start to struggle with what is God's will. What does he want me to do? And I don't want to make a mistake like Jonah. Because look what happened to Jonah. He got, he got tossed away and all this. He invited these storms and all this. And a lot of people can get really stalled 
afraid to make a move for the Lord because they're so worried, I don't want to make a mistake. And, and they look at God's will. What is God's will for my life? And they, they really don't know, and they, it becomes this big puzzle that they have to put the pieces together, and, and, and they get nervous. If I don't do this correctly, I could end up like Jonah, and I don't want that. You don't have to worry about that because that wasn't the issue here. This is what whole books are written on finding God's will, and here's the biblical answer to everything. God's will is clearly revealed. It's not a puzzle that you have to figure out. In, in Jonah's case, God's will was clearly revealed. He didn't get in trouble because he missed it somewhere. He got in trouble because he willfully disobeyed. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he went the opposite direction. That is not the case of someone who is trying to find God's will for their life and they're just so afraid of making a mistake. If God hasn't told you clearly, then you are free to make your own choice. You are free, and you don't have to worry about making mistakes. It is God makes his will perfectly clear, and when he doesn't, you are free to make a godly choice on your own. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. There it is. If you don't hear a clear calling from God at the moment to wait or go or what to do, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. Just go and go before him. Uh, Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your works unto the Lord and he will establish your thoughts. It just says, What I'm doing, I'm committed to you, therefore I go. But in the Bible, every major call was clear. Noah was called to build an ark. He knew it. He wasn't scratching his head saying, I think God wants me to build. I think, I wonder what God wants me to do. Moses didn't say, I wonder what God wants me to do if I should lead the children of Israel out. Oh, I hope I don't make a mistake. No, God was very clear about it. Abraham was told to get out and go. He didn't know where exactly he was going to end up, but he was told to go and he went. And so what I'm saying is, God will make it clear if he has a specific calling. And sometimes, and often he does, but you don't have to stew over it. If you haven't heard anything yet, you, then you acknowledge everything before the Lord. And you, ha you sleep, you be at peace, knowing I'm not in willful disobedience like Jonah. I'm just doing what I know to do. And God's will is perfectly revealed in his word. His word is his will. If you want to know what God's will is, just walk according to what it says in here. And he'll direct your paths. This is acknowledging him. He'll direct your paths. I was called to China. I knew God was calling me to China. I didn't know necessarily that God was calling me here. This was a different story. In fact, I didn't know what God wanted when we were coming here. So I just said, I'm going to acknowledge him every step of the way. And as I did, the calling became more clear. And I understood I was on the right path. I was challenged a little when we got here and Jennifer broke her foot. Uh, but he got me through that too. Because even through that, when things don't seem clear, uh, I, you, I acknowledge God, you acknowledge God, and he will reveal things to you. But I didn't have to worry because I wasn't willfully disobeying some other order that I received. Now, if God makes something clear, go for it. 
and, and you, better, you better do what he says if you know he's saying it. But even when Jonah was uh, disobedient, we learn from the book, back to our original sermon here, God is merciful to those even on the wrong track. See, God sent the storm to Jonah not to destroy him, but to get him on the right track. And it wasn't pleasant, right? It wasn't pleasant, but it was a mercy. It was better to go through the storm, through this situation, than it would be to have ended up in the wrong place forever. So the storm came in this case because Jonah was in disobedience, but it was a loving act of correction to get him back on track. So if you are on the wrong track, you may be inviting some storms, but they come from love in order to get you on the right track. But don't assume that every storm is an act of correction or discipline. Jonah was on the wrong track, but Jesus and the disciples were not on the wrong track when they encountered a storm. And uh, Paul was not on the wrong track when he encountered a storm on the ship. He had known it wasn't right, but he had no choice. He had to go with those guys. And God was merciful, but they went through some hardships. But I'm saying a storm can come for many reasons. It might not be because you're outside of God's will. It might be because you're in God's will. The devil doesn't like people to be in God's will. And the devil can send some storms to try to discourage you and take you out and to get you off track. So you need to use discernment. And again, how do I do that? How do I discern things? Well, you acknowledge God in every way, and he'll direct your steps. You, you look to Jesus, and again, God's omnipresence is a comforting thing. You refuse uh, to be moved when the storm comes. And Jonah slept. Who else slept in a storm? Jesus. Okay, so we have... Two sleepers here. One was disobedient, sleeping away. The other was perfect, sleeping away. But both could be sleeped because they were resting in God. Neither cared much about the circumstances. And uh, that's a lesson for us right there because we often get caught up with the storms. We care about the circumstances. We become like the shipmates in both cases. In the book of Jonah, the shipmates were panicked. They were crying out to their idols, and then they said, what about you? You know, what are you going to do? What are, we, what, what are you going to do about it? They were panicked. And when Jesus slept, the disciples were panicked. Master, don't you care? We perish. And that's how we usually end up. We want to see ourselves more in the Jesus position, where we can rest, knowing that God's got us in his hands. And even Jonah, who didn't have that gospel covenant knowledge or grace, he was still able to sleep knowing that it wasn't circum... He loved not his own life. And here's a, a secret, too, of keeping you calm in a storm and of growing as a Christian, to love not your own life, even as Jesus did not love his own life but gave himself up for us all. Jonah also loved not his own life for the sake of others. So the shipmates came to him and said... You know, who are you? What are you? He said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. And they said, well, what, what do we do? And he said, cast me into the sea. So Jonah, for the sake of others, here's the other miracle. He's got two miracles before the fish. For the sake of others, this disobedient man 
said, cast me. Into, it was his idea. He would give himself for others. That's pretty good. I mean, we get on Jonah for his disobedience, but he, he gives us a lot of good stuff, too, that we often don't look at. So his death actually saved others. God was merciful to the shipmates. And then, uh, after that, the next miracle is that there was a calm, and these shipmates started offering thanks to the one true God. They had a revival. It was a pre-Nineveh revival. They gave up their idols and started offering sacrifices to the Lord. So that was a beginning. There's Jonah cast them out, and they got saved, more or less, You know, as, as far as we can say in the Old Testament. They started going to the true God. And so there's a sign of Jonah here because um, Jesus also gave himself so that others could come in and be saved. It wasn't just for Israel. It was for Israel first, but it was for the Gentiles as well and all nations. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, giving himself for others, others could be saved and, and not go down with the ship. So this is a sign of the gospel. In, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 16, it says, The men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. This is a sign of the gospel. The sign of Jonah. Jesus talked about the sign of Jonah. And Jonah was cast out and there was salvation. Jesus was cast up. He was sacrificed on the cross. Cast up for us and there was salvation. One was cast out and gave peace to the shipmates. They had peace finally. Jesus was cast up and brought peace to mankind, whosoever, whosoever. Um, Jonah was called, this is the sign of Jonah, Jonah was called to preach to the Ninevites, who were his enemies. And Jesus came and reconciled us to God as enemies. Romans 5.10 says that God reconciled to us when we were enemies. He reconciled us as enemies. Jonah was the only prophet. This is another thing about Jonah. Jonah was the only prophet that was sent to outsiders. All the other prophets were sent to Israel. He was the only one that was told to go to these outsiders and to, uh, and to be a missionary to them. Jesus went, brought the outsiders, the Gentiles, in, but both were going to their enemies. And now here's something people, we talk about judgment and people think, yeah, I, I do have sin and I need salvation. But nobody thinks of themselves, usually, as an enemy of God. But outside of Christ, we were enemies. It says that in Romans chapter 5. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it says God reconciled us as enemies, in verse 10. And no one thinks of themselves as an enemy of God. The people out there... Maybe nowadays they do. I don't know. There are people who are blatantly, openly, defiantly uh, defying God. But most people, they'll say, yeah, I'm not perfect. And yeah, I know I don't deserve everything. But it, you know, they don't think of themselves as God's enemies. And I don't know how to get that across to them. But if we can get it across to ourselves that we were actually not just needy, but we were 
defiant and wrong, on the wrong side, and yet Jesus still loved us, gave himself for us. You know, a good man, you know, a man might die for a friend or a good man. I, I can't remember how to say that specifically, but he died for his enemies. That is something that we should just give praise to God, thanks to Jesus. He came when we were on the wrong side, not just needy, but on the wrong side. And that's what we're seeing in Jonah. Jonah was sent to those who were on the wrong side of Israel, and he didn't like it. That's the sign of Jonah, the sign of the gospel. But ultimately, we get to the biggest sign, Matthew 12, 40, that uh, says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And that, of course, is talking about the death uh, and being crucified and being dead, buried, before being resurrected. And that's what happened with Jesus. Jonah, uh, the, the fish vomited Jonah out, pushed him out of the place of death. And the grave spit out Jesus, pushed him out of the place of death. So there he was, swallowed up. Jonah was swallowed up in this whatever it was kind of fish. And it was a miserable, awful, ugly spot. Miserable, awful, ugly spot, but it was a life-saving spot. Who knows, but some miserable, awful spot that you might be in right now may actually be a life-saving spot. It may be that God is trying to get you on a right track. It may be that God is protecting you from something worse. Or it may be that God is preparing you for something better. But the point is, it's not over and it's not finished, even as it wasn't over for Jonah. A miserable, awful spot could actually be a life-saving spot. And the key is that you can use it, as Jonah did, as an occasion to turn to the Lord and to exercise faith. What do we usually do? We usually exercise pity. Poor pitiful me. Let's have a pity party. Everybody, one, two, three. Oh, you know, I feel so sorry for, I know one, nobody's seen the trouble I've seen and, and everything, and we just heap it on, heap it on, and I think sometimes we enjoy wallowing in the, the despair and the pity. But that's not what Jonah did, as we'll see now. He didn't wallow in that. He turned, used it, and exercised faith. He used it as an opportunity to exercise faith. And so we see this in, in the prayer recorded in Jonah chapter 2, verses 2 through 9. I want to go through each one and look at this real quickly because it's very instructive, and it's a great prayer of faith. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Why did he cry to the Lord? Because of his affliction. Because of his affliction. You know, a lot of times when we're not afflicted, we rarely cry out to the Lord. We rarely spend time. We rarely look to him because everything's going well. And afflictions come, and then we have a choice to make. Do we get down and think, where's God and he's left me or he's angry or whatever? Or do we use it to say, this is an opportunity. This is, an, this is a, a goad, so to speak, goading me in the right direction to turn back to the Lord. I know 
you know, I pray more when I'm under an affliction or a trial. I don't believe that God sends these things just to get us to turn to him. I believe that we're just in a fallen world. The devil is against us many times. But, you know, if we don't turn to the Lord, the world wins. The devil wins. But when you turn to the Lord, it's like a victory, instant victory. Even if you've not received what you're looking for yet, you've already shamed the devil. You've already shamed the ways of the world because you have turned. And because of my affliction, he answered me. This is an astounding thing, too. I'm wondering if this is only part of the prayer Jonah prayed. But he prayed this from inside the fish, it says. And he understood that he was answered before he ever got out of the fish. There's faith that you know that God has heard you and answered you even before you've seen the result. So the next verse, verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. All your billows and waves. This is, it can't get more dark and depressing. The billows and waves... It, 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 does it sometimes feel like you're reeling, that things are just happening all at once, you don't get a break, you don't have time to breathe, it's just like, why do these hits keep coming? We've all gone through periods like that, but the nice thing about it is that word passed, they pass. They're not there to stay, they pass over. And there's, there's another gospel hint, the Passover. Jesus causes these things to pass over. Next verse, verse 4. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Well, here's an imperfect prayer. Again, he thought he could run from the presence of the Lord. He thought that he could, but he couldn't. And here he says, I've been cast out of your sight. No, he wasn't cast out of God. God could see him where he was. But I think the meaning of that is more of, you know, I just blew it and I've, I've lost favor with you. He's, he's thinking, I'm out of your your care, your vision now. But there's that word, yet. I will look again toward your holy temple. Here's a marvelous statement of faith. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Here he just said the floods, the billows going over me. Uh, I've been cast out of your sight. It's over. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't say, this is my lot. This is where it's this, it's over now. This is where I've ended. He says, I will yet look again toward your holy temple. That is the way we need to be. When we're in a situation and we think, this is it, I'm done now, or it's never going to change, we say, no, there's a, there's a yet I will look unto his holy temple. And the next verse, the waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Very uncomfortable feeling. Next verse. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. This is astounding here. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Like a jail cell. You can hear the bars going, it's finished. It's done. You're, you're finished. It's over. And not only that, the, earth, the bars closed behind me forever. This is going to be this way forever. Yet. There's the yet word. Yet. We could say, but God. God cancels out the forever part. 
Yet you have brought my life from the pit, out from the pit, O Lord my God. It was a forever judgment. It was a forever end to Jonah. His situation was not pleasant and it was never going to end. And yet, the Lord brought me up from the pit. And Jonah said this while he was still in that fish. So you might be thinking, this is, I'll just let God do with me this and, and, uh, and I'm always going to be this way. None of us have always going to be this way, except for in the case of glory and being loved by God and being recipients of his goodness. But if there's something you don't like about yourself, if there's a situation that you can't stand, if there's, if there's a problem that just keeps haunting you and coming back to you, you don't give in and say, well, I guess I just have to roll with it, even though it feels like it's mine forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit. God cancels out those forevers. And that's what faith can do. Stand on the promises of God and know that you're never to the place where you're swallowed up for good. That fish can vomit you out. Next verse. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. There's no situation where God can't hear you and you got to believe that too. Because of the blood of Jesus, your prayers have been perfected. Even though you don't pray perfectly, God hears you. They go up into his temple like incense because they're filtered through the blood of Jesus. Next verse. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And the next verse. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So those who regard idols, worthless idols, and that's what we have today, so many worthless idols. In Jonah's time, they were worshiping these false gods. In China, I saw people bowing before porcelain statues. In Thailand, I saw people in temples bowing before giant golden Buddhas. Worthless idols, they can't do a thing. Well, we don't see porcelain statues or giant Buddhas most places in America but we bow before reputation, we bow before prestige and before self. It is me, me, me here. It is I am the Lord. What we're experiencing in our culture, cancel culture, is if you don't agree with me, yourself is king, yourself is God. You ignore the, the rules of nature, the laws, our physical laws, moral laws. Everything depends on who I feel I should be and what I want and what I have and and you better not disagree with me. This is the culture we're in. But self is a worthless idol. Self is only going to get you an instant gratification. It's not going to get you an eternal satisfaction. And drugs are idols, alcohol idols. Why do people keep going back to the drugs and alcohols and sexual addictions and things like that? Because these are worthless idols that keep you coming back in bondage. They keep coming back, and when you go to them, you forsake where the real mercy is, the one who can pull you up out of the belly of the fish, out of the dark moorings, as he said, out of the depths where all the wallowing and despair is. If you would look to the Lord and trust in him and say, yet I will be delivered, 
and then sacrifice to him with the voice of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is not in my own efforts, not in all my control. It's not in the bottle. It's not in the drugs. It's not in my self-reputation. It's not in prestige out there. It's in the Lord, and I will offer a voice of thanksgiving to him, and that's my story. I'm sticking with it. You draw a line in the sand. God is my salvation. God is my inheritance. God is my portion, and I'm not going back to the old anymore. I'm not staying in this belly of this fish. That was amen. Thank you. Wow, we're starting to make progress. I'm getting some amens. So... When do you give thanksgiving? When it's all taken care of, when it's all fixed? No, Jonah gave this thanksgiving and offered the sacrifice to the Lord. You know, what is the sacrifice to us? It's, it's a living sacrifice. I'm yours, Lord. I'm yours. It's not me anymore. I'm trusting you with this whole situation, with my life. And he gave thanks. So how many times we pray for something, we give thanks before we have it? That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be thanking God because it's up to him and we trust that he's merciful and that's his business. He's a redeemer and he's a restorer and he's a renewer. And we just got to thank him. And that's what Jonah did. And then the next verse is not on there, but it says the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. So give thanks. Understand that things are good. Now, I want to end looking at this prayer one more time, but from a different angle. Because this is really going to give some insight as to what Jesus has done. Jesus said that the sign of Jonah will be given. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. So this prayer can be looked at in a prophetic sense as what was going on when Jesus was down and being given up for our sins. So in verse 2 it says, I cried to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Jesus said, I, I always know that you hear me, Lord. I spoke this for their sakes, but Jesus knew that the Lord always answered him. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So Jesus went to the grave. Even the Apostles' Creed said he descended into hell I'm not sure about all the theology there, but Sheol is used in the Old Testament, sometimes translated as hell. What it is, is actually the holding place of the dead. It's, the, it's translated as hell, it's translated as the grave, but it's a dark place, it's the holding place of the dead, and that's where Jesus went. The one who gives life, the author of life, went into the place of death. And here's what I believe he experienced in verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. There was Jesus with all the floods, billows, and waves, carrying the guilt of the world, the sins of the world. Your guilt, my guilt, the guilt of the multitudes from time immemorial, the floods, the billows, the waves, of that horrible guilt being upon him and on top of him as he went down. And then he said in verse 4, I have been cast out of your sight. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said on the cross. He was there for our sakes, in our place, cast out of God's sight, 
yet he knew that it wasn't forever. I will look again toward your holy temple. He knew he had a purpose. He knew he had a mission. He knew God had a plan for him, even as we know that. God has a plan for us. And he knew that he was going to come forth, but still he's under there. And then the next verse says, The water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. The water surrounded me even to my soul. We see that Jesus suffered not just physically on the cross, but his soul suffered. It wasn't just the physical tortures of the cross, but the spiritual tortures of sin and the guilt of man becoming a curse, the curse of the law, made a curse for us that we could be released. Jesus suffered in both flesh and the soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. That was after he wore a thorn, uh, a crown of thorns around his head. The weeds wrapped around my head. I think of the confusion, the despair, the darkness, the anxiety, the depression. He suffered and went through all that. He knows what you're going through when you go through things like that. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. There's the church, uh, the, the church, the jail, the cells clanging shut. Who can overcome death? And yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jesus destroyed death and he went down and suffered all this so that we would not have to. Yeah, we're all going to die physically, but we don't have to go through the despair, angst, and awful nature that he experienced. The judgment, the, the floods, the billows, the waves of God's wrath, the anxiety and, and guilt, condemnation within our hearts, all this we bypass because Jesus went through it for us. And his story is our story. If you are in Christ, you will not remain in a pit. You will not have to suffer those things. But you have been brought up from the pit because you have trusted in the one who overcame death and was resurrected that we might live forever with him in glory. Why would you go to the worthless idols? Why would you go the world's way? Why for just a moment would you sacrifice everything for the worthless what does it forfeit a man if he loses his soul? Gains the world but loses his soul. Man, we have it good because of all the bad Jesus went through for us. And that's something I want to share with others. I don't want to be like Jonah. Think of the victory you have being united with God, running with him instead of running apart or in the other direction. That's the good news. We've got to tell the world, run with him. Don't run away from him. Because that's where the, the gold is. That's where the glory is. That's where God is. Amen? Amen. Amen. We'll uh, finish this next week. But thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you that you've died and suffered for us and that you would raise us up with you, already seated in heavenly places in Christ. And I pray you just touch our lives this week with greater revelations of who you are and your glory and your love for us and what we can be in you. I pray blessings on everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen.